for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Here we go, y'all. The show you're hearing today is our Elk Bros Live question and answer show. We talk about late elk season thoughts and strategies. Answer questions from our Elk Bros Instagram followers, and we answer questions and interact with our live Elk Bros YouTube channel audience. So get ready, y'all. Questions are locked and loaded, and Joe's sweating like an overdressed summer hiker in H-Town, y'all. Why? Because, y'all, we have the entire crew in the house, and we're live. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by com. With your host, Gilbert Arnellis, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, and we have got a full crew here tonight, y'all, from Katy, Texas. That's right. We've got the leader of the Venezuelan mafia in the house, Mr. Luis Gonzalez with a Z, right, Joe? Right. And from right. Katy, and from Dallas, Fort Worth, we've got Manano Graterón, the leader of the menace, Venezuelan mafia of the North, right? And from Cuesta, New Mexico, we've got the legend in the house, Mr. R.C. Knox. And from Cimarron, New Mexico, we've got your elk hunting coaches in the house, Mr. Leroy, the Ninja Chavez, and WWJGD is in the house. What would Joe Gillia do? And y'all we are live tonight on youtube welcome everyone so glad everybody's here we're going to get this thing kicked off and send it right over here to joe to get us started 
<laughs> well, uh, I, we just want to welcome everybody tonight, man. Uh, love having everybody. So glad that you guys are here. Welcome to RL Camp. Uh, we want you to feel right at home. We'll talk a little bit more about the structure of this and how everything's going. But, you know, first of all, um, you know, I keep hearing that, you know, it's Louise Gonzalez. Oh, and, and I want you to know that. It's it's really an SH on the end. He's you know he says he's Venezuelan. It's actually Polish. He has <laughs> just like a real, real blood in Spain. <laughs> it's Gonzalez. Gonzalez. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's Gonzalez, man. Yeah, so let's see how this goes. I mean, the guy can't freaking spell, and now it just uh, turns it around and makes it about me. Uh, man, come on. Hey, by the way, I, I gotta say something. I, I just want everybody to know that, you know, there's always been that debate, nonsense debate about the leader of the, the Venezuelan mafia. Everybody knows who it is. But I just want to say something real quick. In the, the last episode, I did not participate. Okay. I decided I just couldn't make it, right? Uh, but Manano happened to confess in that episode his own voice that he was the lowest ranking member of this group. <laughs> this is true. Well, on this that particular true. episode. Whoa, 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 whoa. So hear it there. out. Because yeah, you weren't there. So he, he just confessed. <laughs> To everybody no, that no, he was the lowest member no, the thing is, of the crew. It's recorded, man. I know that's okay. English, bro. It, I get a, it. I get it that you're trying to put a facade in front of when I'm present, but I know that you know who the true leader of the Venezuelan mafia. Bro, so thank you. I dropped the mic. I can I disconnect now? I dropped now? the mic. No, I just, but, but I'm gonna I'm gonna clear it up. I'm gonna mic, bro. I'm gonna clear it up, though, Luis. I, I, I you know I want to agree with you, Luis because I will just say this. The leader of the Venezuelan mafia was not on our last podcast. That's true, but he is on this one. I wasn't on last week. I mean, you, you really you didn't hear the memo about the leadership of the Venezuelan mafia. Right. The first requirement is a it's Venezuelan passport. Venezuelan. You don't yeah. have one, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, so we got a lot of things already hitting from, uh, viewers here that we're going to get to in a few minutes here. So Gilbert. Yeah, y'all, to get us, to get us started, we're going to give some quick shout outs to our top listening cities this week, Joe. So for our live audience, do us a favor and tell us where you're from too, please. Yeah. Let everybody know, man. Let everybody know where you guys are from, where you're, where you're signing in from. Luis. Up first. Shout out to the Garden Spot on the northern bank of the Minnesota River, Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Minnesota. That was number five on the list this week, y'all. That's uh, number five, Eden awesome. Prairie, Minnesota, the Garden Spot of Minnesota. Okay, next, a shout out to the once named Hufftown, along with all eight wards and the folks of Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, Greensburg. In fact, Jason Schultz, you you were shooting me some photos. God, it was only probably a week ago in Pennsylvania of this elk herd. And I mean, and he actually had a T-shirt on at the time there. Uh, so, man, Pennsylvania and the elk, that's I'm, I'm anxious. I'd really like to see how that's going to turn out. 
I have to say, I was really surprised that this next stop listening city is a spring training home of the Texas Ranger and Kansas City Royals. Surprise, Arizona. <laughs> so what are you saying, Manano? Surprise. 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 It's a surprise. Who's surprise? Yeah. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. Arizona. There we go. I thought he was trying to surprise us. Yeah, Texas Rangers and Kansas City Royals in Surprise, Arizona, man. I, that, what a cool name. Yes. So, 75 years ago, my next city, after 133, you guys could appreciate this, after 133 failed drillings, one oil strike changed this once little town, Alberta and Canada's history forever. Now, y'all might have to help me out with this because I don't know if it's pronounced in French or is it Le Duc? Le Duc. Le Duc. Yeah. Le Duc, Alberta, Canada. Badass, Joe. They're in the house. Yeah. Our brothers to the north. And and our top listening city, Gilbert. Yeah, our top listening city. Making it this week. A huge Elk Bro shout out to the home of the world's largest pecan. Ironically, once called Walnut Springs, the locally invented uh, Lime Crete as well, and they resulted in this little small town having the largest concentration of concrete buildings in the entire country. In Seguin, Texas, y'all. Seguin. Seguin, just outside of San Antonio on I-10. Yeah. That's freaking yes, awesome, man. And, and let's yell out some of these. We have, um, we've got Jason Schultz coming in from Salem, Connecticut. Mike yes, Middleton sir. from Howitzville, Texas. Uh, Tracy Henry, Twin Falls, Idaho. Any place else y'all see? Jonathan Scott, Twin Falls, Idaho. All right. Jonathan, what up, buddy? Jens Broughton, Albuquerque, Albuquerque. New Mexico. The 505 shows up, Joe. Jeremy from Northern Colorado. Man, Chris McKelvey from New Orleans. Mike Bozar's in the house. Guys, we want to welcome everybody. And uh, so what I'm going to do is just so all you guys know how this is going to work, you feel free to ask us any questions during the show through your chat, just like you're doing. These guys will be checking on things and jotting them down, making sure we bring them up if we don't see it right away. Uh, in between questions, one thing that we're going to talk about our main topic tonight is on late season elk thoughts and strategies because I've had a lot of people been contacting me that are heading out right now. And I think we just had a, um, I think Matt Flowers was saying that late archery elk season opens next week. Going to be a different ball game for me. Any tip guys? So this is right up your alley, Matt. Um, and yes, food, food, food. So Matt, are you, are you hunting bulls? Are you hunting cows? Are you hunting any elk? Make sure you pop that in to let us know what you're, what you're hunting there. All right. And, uh, so also, um, so that you guys know, one important note is that there is a delay from us to you. So please be patient. Sometimes we respond and it takes a little bit before we actually get to see you guys respond back to us. Okay. So, um, we will also have questions. <laughs> we have some great questions. In fact, I got to throw one out right away just to start things off, man. And, uh, I think we kind of hit this a little bit, but Armando Martinez from the bow hitch said, Guys, can you guys put subtitles on the podcast so we can see what the heck Luis is saying? 
funny, man. Yeah. Well, the problem is Banano has been so absent of the podcast, he the has problem. no idea Did you hear what that, it is Joe? like when Manano's on. Did you hear that the problem? He sounds like Arabic or, Arabic. or you know, from <laughs> India. Or... <laughs> so, Matt, it looks to me like you're hunting in Oregon or coast of Washington, right? Clear-cut country, yeah. So um, a little bit more different than the situation we're dealing with. That brings a whole new um, – brings something really new to the whole play there because for you guys there, I don't know how much weather becomes a factor for what you do um, at this time of year. I'm not sure if you guys are getting snow, if, if it's moving down, how those animals have changed up, but definitely, you know, you're going to want to be able to be, you know, when you say feed, 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 absolutely. Now the difference between that though is, and when we talk about elk being elk, and that's one thing that we're going to talk about in this late season strategies, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more, especially like mountainous areas and our area and stuff like that. But for your question is, your bulls should have split off already. Now, your small bulls, some of your small bulls will stay with the herd, and that's where you're looking at for a branch or a cow. So you're definitely going to be looking. You're not having to look for those big boys that are splitting off and just wanting to stay alone and away from everything and find their holes. You're looking for those those critters that are actually staying in the herd or on the side of the herd and going to those feed areas. So um, you're playing it right and you're thinking right about that. Uh, now, as far as, you know, uh, I think in your country, because of the moisture and everything like that, you don't get dry and crunchy, do you? Because if you don't, you're still in great stocking situation. But what I would do at this time of year is because you have that clear cut is is I would use every road possible. I would use every area that I could glass as possible. I would cover as much country as possible and try to locate where those critters are coming out because now they are becoming habitual again. Unless somebody really is busting them up from their feed area to their bedding area, they're going to kind of do that routine unless they get moved. So once you start locating where they want to be for their feed, they're going to want to be there. So if you saw them go up in in the morning, look for them to come out. And RC taught me this a long time ago, man. If you don't go booger some of these critters and you don't want to go up there and necessarily get in where they're at when they're when they're doing a routine, um then you can Go ahead and wait for them and be in the area where they're most likely going to come out. That's that's the advice I would give you for that. Anybody else? Joe, just real quick, uh, huh? I saw one of our coaches is in with us as well. Uh, the the silver tongue devil himself, Mister Guy Duplanche, is in the house. I told him to go ahead and and uh, come on in with us. So if you see him, oh, absolutely, uh, come, come up with us. Uh, let him in. Absolutely, yeah. Big GD, come on in, man. Big GD. Love to have you, man. Personal goal for improvement next season, yeah. Yeah. Be, yeah. Uh, be really, I mean, far away from Luis. <laughs> <laughs> far away. I will definitely improve my hunt. <laughs> I tell you what, if man, you I'm, I'm pretty proud of my son too. He's been really killing it with the calling. So yeah, he's if we good. can get him, if we can get him in camp next year, he's going to be a pretty That's awesome. That's going to be my caller. partner. 
That's yeah. going to be my It's going to be my Manano says. It's going to be my, my partner. Oh, man. Yeah, he always needs somebody to call for him. So, yeah, the host is a partner for him. So, we got a question from Silvano Munoz. Yes. Because yes. next year will be his first season ever going after elk and with a bow. says, what do you think is as a newbie hunter? Should I really focus on learning the calls? Is he going uh, bow hunting, brother? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 He's, he's archery hunting next year, so he's looking at hunting for in September. Sure. Calling is going to be the the number one thing that you need to get on, brother. Oh, absolutely. That's the game changer, Savano man. That's that is what's going to change the situation from you having to have an elk, from you mm-hmm. having to find an elk, from elk finding you. You know, it, when you just leave it up to chance of you have, you know, having to find an elk by a chance happening through hiking and hoping that you're in the right area or being in an area where there are elk and bringing those elk to you. So that's a much better situation. It's always going to be about the language, bud. And the other thing is I'd tell you is, is learning to hunt fearlessly. Yeah. You know, because, right. uh, you, you take you a look at call. what our boy Adam did. I mean, just fearless walked up in there in the woods by himself. Didn't know really, <clears throat> as my grandpa would say, shit from wild honey, but he went straight up in there and, and went hunting. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, made elk sounds and here you, here you go. The guy's calling for help getting elk out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when, when I say hunt fearlessly, man, you know, what I mean by that a lot of times is, and I see it all the time. I see it in, in guys that, that I'm around. I see it in other guys that are hunting out of there, but they're going to actually sometimes not go into areas because they worry about getting back to camp by, let's say, midday. Um, or they, uh, um, they're heading back to get to the vehicle like an hour before dark because they're worried about not making it back to the vehicle. Those types of things actually take away some of the best hunting times for you. So that's something for you to think about, man, that will help you out a lot there. But definitely, I'm going to tell you the difference is going to be the calls, man. That's that's going to be the game changer. Uh, Because (laughs) that is why I feel I've been so successful over the years. And you look at each of these guys as they become more and more successful, right? Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, we had some guys in camp that hunted with us on our Elk Bros Adventure hunts where we coached. Um, one of them was Mr. Larry Gill. And after spending a full, you know, seven to 10 days with us, Joe, he actually went back up to New Mexico with what he'd learned with us and actually called in a bull for his brother. I don't know if his brother-in-law or his cousin or his buddy, but I mean a giant bull, <laughs> you know, yeah. he called him in for the guy. So, so happy for Mr. Gill and what he oh, yeah. took away from us and went and put that out there. I mean, he got right back on the horse, you know, yeah. so it was fun to see from, from Mr. Gill's standpoint. Pretty pumped. I talked to him afterwards as well, and he was very excited about, you know, being able to do that. So it just it just must feel so good right be able to call in an elk for somebody else it's uh definitely definitely one of my uh my items in my bucket list and and we actually have a scenario from one of our instagram questioners that that you know that you might really be interested in Silvano, because it uh and i'm hope i'm saying that right man um but uh he 
has a question that really goes towards solo hunting and you're talking about being by yourself and that kind of adds a little bit something to the game as well. So we're going to talk about that. So uh, we'll be having that come up here in a few minutes as well. But I wanted to say hello to the brother, Guy Dupont. Oh, boy. There he is. Guy with the silver tongue devil himself. Cali transplant. Guy. How we doing, gents? What's going on, my brother? <laughs> I was just sitting there enjoying it on the uh on the couch at Gills. Couldn't see it. <laughs> Couldn't see it. I said, man, we got to have our, our elk hunting coach in the house with us, man. I was laughing because Luis just start I mean, he just stepped up to the plate and was like, I don't know. Had it on the court. I'm like, hey, I know, like, dude, you gotta come prepared. That's, oh, that's like, when oh, you're no. you know, when you're prepared, you're prepared. You know what I mean? I'm tired, bro. Uh, I'm tired of this. RC, what's up, brother? <laughs> yeah, how's, how's the YouTube? Uh, how's the YouTube world going with these folks here? Oh, we got Meeker, Paul Perky yeah. out of Meeker. That's a few minutes away from me. What's up, yeah. Paul? Twenty-eight so, of them lined up in there right now, baby. Yeah. So, so I know Sill. He just asked those questions, and and Sill was actually supposed to go with me a couple of seasons. So he don't have no excuses, man. He should be so far up on his elk calling knowledge and game. Still, you know I'm going to call you out on it, bro, because there's no reason to be behind the curve. Yeah, look, Sil, I mean, go to our base camp, dude. I'm not making a shameless plug for it, but I am. At the end of the day, man, get to that base camp. It'll help you with your calling strategies. You know, there's uh, other things out there that can really help you. Paul Medell's Elk Nut app. I mean, you name it. I mean, these guys speak the language. It's the most important part of it. Uh, I got to hunt with some unbelievable guys this year and do some elk calling. I mean, I got to hunt with that silver tongue devil down there below. I mean, it was, we had an absolute blast together calling elk and helping guys get better every day in the woods. I got better every day in the woods, right? Look at Sil said all crap. <laughs> Sorry, what? Sil said all crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> got called out in everything. Yeah, you must not step in the ring if you don't want it. Exactly. Hey, Silvano, you said that you will be hunting with somebody. Um yeah, <laughs> he's a fellow Californian. Oh no, man! Yeah. <laughs> a Messner's oh, in the no. house. Uh, yeah. oh, we better get up on it because we ain't playing Edmess. But but it, it does change the game, man, Silvano. It does change the game if you have two guys. If you've got a partner out there, but listen to me, and and make sure. I wish your partner was here. I don't know if he is or not. And anybody out there that has a hunting partner, look, y'all. It is just as important. Don't be the only person in that too that gets good at calling and understanding and learning. Share that knowledge. Insist on your partner sharing the journey with you. If not, there's a little bit of selfishness going on there, man, because, you know, one person's going to call for one, one can call for the other. And when you become a team like that, it is sweet. It becomes so tight. You have some great encounters happening. One person batting for the other, one person pitching for the other. But that calling, understanding that language, being able to understand how to respond to the situations, when not to call, you know, um, when sometimes you got to use other aspects, that's critical. So um, I would, any of you guys that have a partner, Man, whatever you're learning, wherever you're going, wherever you're grabbing it from, send that to your partner. Help them to help you. Okay. Right. Yeah. We, I mean, every day when we hunt, we're only as 
good is our weakest link. And sometimes I'm that weakest link, man. You know, there's a lot of things I got to get better at. I mean, conditioning, uh, you know, all of those things go hand in hand. You know, we encountered some of the most crazy blowdown this year and uh, being able to navigate all of that and understand the elk patterns that changed when all of that happened. That was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. Um, the traffic that we endured, I mean, it was, it was nuts. So yeah, I mean, all of those things go into you having a better hunt and being more prepared. But I would say that like Joe has said a thousand times, if you can speak the language, you're a leg up on everybody. So, boys, as you see things, man, a question to somebody that we haven't got up, just jump up with it, and uh, and we'll we'll work on answering as quick as possible. I'll try throwing some of these other questions in in between sure. um, as we go as well, okay? Yeah, okay, there was a, a question earlier. Somebody wanted to know if anybody noticed a variance in arrow traje- trajectory at altitude, 9,500 to uh, 11,000, 11, I guess. Yeah, and that that was from Bullet Two Twenty Five H O. So uh, if Luis can handle that question, no, I, I I responded to him <laughs> in the chat, but I think I mean I think all of us can handle that question, right? I mean, it's yeah. uh, I put yes, sir. Always good to shoot a few at camp before the hunt, Every right? Day. Yeah, uh, you know, for several reasons. Yeah, altitude may have something to do with it, uh, but you know, it's always good to. Um, you know, shoot a few at camp just to make sure your equipment is is functioning properly prior to your hunt. Now, Beto has a great, great yeah. story to tell about what happened to him this year um, on that. And it had nothing to do with altitude, but uh, uh-huh. Beto, go ahead, sir. We took a horrible ass whipping hiking out of a spot um, <laughs> the night before. And I had to actually place my place my daggum bow on my backpack and you know several times I fell and when I fell I rolled over on my back to try to keep myself from going all the way down the freaking mountain so my bow took a horrible ass whipping right and I'm telling you when I got back to camp guy and Joe and all of them can attest I was whipped man and uh the next day I knew I needed to shoot my bow to make sure everything was right and uh I don't know we kind of got behind the gun and I kind of procrastinated and didn't do it and went, oh, well, I'll take one of my, my, uh, uh, what do you call those arrows that we carry with the judo point and I'll shoot it when I'm out there. Yeah, well. I'm sorry, Beto. I'm sorry, Beto. I just pictured my mind. You roll it down the mountain. With <laughs> yeah, dude. It was literally, oh, guys. literally inches away from that happen, right? Uh, yeah, that, that'd have been, that'd have sucked because we went oh, up a Beto. long way to go all the way back down. Bro, so. I love you, Beto. <laughs> you know, those that. big boulders were not kind in my sight, right? So when I got, when I got to my hunting area, me and Larry Gill, oh. I was actually calling for Larry. And I look up and I got, I've got a mule deer tag in my pocket. Okay. And I, the elusive mule deer has kind of mm-hmm. like been a lot of help for a lot of people for me, right? Uh, the elusive mule deer has escaped me and most of it's because of my own fault. The first time it was because I didn't know that you could shoot with your 20 yard pin 40 yards straight down the mountain, right? So I shot him for 31, used my 30 yard pin and slapped him across the top of the back. This was 15 or 13 years ago. But I get this giant mule deer in front of us. 
Uh, Guy Duplanche had already seen him the day before, so we knew what area he was in. And I get this big old mule deer, probably 155 to 160 inch mule deer in front of me. And he doesn't even know I'm there. I got him, man. Like I'm going, oh, I can't believe this. They don't even know I'm here. And it doesn't matter how far he is because I'm going to get him, right? So he walks out at 55 yards, walk in the park, draw the bow, send it, and man, it looks like it's going to be 30 feet over him. I'm like, what in the world? And it barely misses him by about that much. I mean, a couple inches just sails right over these withers. It hit him right between both shoulders and it stuck into a stump behind him. Well, the, he kind of was like, what was that? You know, he didn't know, really know where it was coming from. So I was grabbing me another arrow trying to, trying to snatch it up. And I looked to my left and about 30 yards from me, there's another like four by four, smaller one. And he picks the movement up and he busts out of there and they all bust out of there. Well, I get back to camp and my bow is shooting. The first time I shot it at 55 yards, I shot it over the target. It was about nine and a half, 10 inches high. So what I can tell you guys is if you've gone through a pretty good hike and you've beat, you know, thrown your bow in the back of the mule or whatever it may be, and it's been beat around a little bit, man, shoot it a few times. You know, it cost me an awesome opportunity at a really big mule deer because I was really, I procrastinated and I was lazy. And uh, that's just something I'm not proud of, but really something I want to relay to everybody and let them know that even if you don't think that you need to, probably a good idea to do it. Look, man, you're traveling, right? I mean, for us, we go to New Mexico from here, takes us 12, 13 hours. Uh, Even though you have those bows and cases, you know, they bang around as you travel. You get up there, you want to check your equipment. You want to make sure nothing has moved or, you know, one of the things that happened to me, similar to what happened to Beto was <clears throat> I had a soft case because I thought it was easier to transport my bow like that on my four wheeler. And, um, you know, it turns out that, uh, the banging on the four wheeler, um, it, it just, and that soft case wasn't really protecting the bow and it was the, the sight was hitting up and down on, on that on that uh on the four-wheeler top and it moved my sight so you know i almost had a similar issue to what beto had so you know uh, yeah uh, definitely always check your equipment and then also you know make sure you protect your bow uh when you're traveling with it you know, make sure it's very well protected it has a good case you know we try to we pay a lot of money on a bow uh, on the arrows and everything, and then we try to just kind of save some bucks on on a good case, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's what protects your yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, I've that's actually what had was. a bow blow up in my hands because I used to travel without a case, and all it took was a little bit of mud, mud about mm-hmm. that much mud, got into the the groove on on my pulley. And went to pull back and it, it rolled it right off and, uh, and ended up blowing up in my hands. And I'll tell you this too about shooting, uh, the difference in your aero flight at, at, uh, altitude. I get a lot of people when they come to the ranch I guide at, they are required to shoot prior to going out. They actually have a proficiency test for guys there. And when guys first come out and start shooting, a well, lot of would never pass. <laughs> a lot of these guys, for some reason, are generally low and to the left. Now, 
I think that has to do with form. I think when people haven't been staying in shooting and, and a lot of times they're doing their traveling and then they pull their bows out and you think about when you're pulling and you're you trying to use muscles to that you haven't used in a while, it's generally where you're going to drop and you're pulling and you're generally going to be to that left. So it could be a form thing, but, uh, you know, I've also My had guys shoots that, high every time I leave yeah. here, Joe. When What's I that? get to the, when I get to the mountain, my bow's going to be two or three inches high. And it's yeah. just the way it is every year. And I know that. So I shoot, make the little adjustment when I'm at camp. And generally two c- couple inches ain't going to make or break you, but sometimes it can, you know, um, just depending on what you're shooting at, you know, you're and, shooting at prairie dogs or whatever. It's going to make a difference. Yeah. And, and, and Mr. Jeremy Georgenson is actually saying something there. My bow is sensitive to extreme temperatures too, probably because mm-hmm. it's cheap, not because it's cheap. <laughs> Every bow is sensitive to temperatures, and I can tell you this, arrows are as well. And uh, I just kind of learned that the hard way, too. I mean, we had some extremely hot summers here, and I stopped from – I moved my arrows. Actually, my bows – uh, talking to Beto, I moved my bows out of the garage and put them inside the house. Um, Worse for the limbs. Well, I mean, uh, if you all remember uh, the kid Kirkpatrick – uh, had an issue with his string too, where it got really hot and his strings got loose and he kind of lost poundage, um, right, right. on, on his, yeah. and then I use hot melt for my inserts on my arrows. So, you know, I've also noticed that uh, some of those inserts get loose when there are extreme temperatures right there inside the garage as well. So yes, I mean, extreme heat, extreme cold could, could affect your, your equipment. So. Better to keep them inside the house if possible. So I got a couple things on that, guys. Um, if you're running a dovetail site, if you're traveling, uh, pull that dovetail off. It's not going to hurt your pins. Point. Slide it off, put it on, you know, in its own case, not getting bounced around. Mm-hmm. Um, add a little protection. And uh, secondly, Louise, stop using hot melt and please use a uh, polymer or rubberized glue <laughs> for those inserts, as it is better for temperatures. <laughs> it, is, it is better for temperatures, but I can. With the hot melt, I have a lot more flexibility as far as, you know, swapping the equipment and swapping inserts and stuff like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you build them right the first time, then (laughs) that's my expectation. (laughs) What happens is Manano breaks the arrows and then he wants to use an insert on another arrow. So I have to, you know, pull the insert out and then use it on another arrow because he's cheap. And so, then, you know, you're talking throw, about, oh, go ahead, Jojo. I'm, I'm going to throw this out before we start taking some more questions. So we know where we're going to go with this, but on our late season elk hunting, I get a whole bunch of questions all the time, especially this time of year. And we've got hunters that, um, have purchased tags from us or hunters that are hunting this area that are constantly mm-hmm. contacting us. And they're like, you know, Okay, here's what I hear. These are the questions I get. What strategies do you use to find elk in the late season, both for cow elk and for bull elk? And there's two different kinds of bull elk that you're chasing. You know, any bull elk versus a large bull, okay, um, on old large bull. So there, there's different strategies for those. Um, the second thing is, what if I don't know the area? Where do I start? Um, so that's the second question. And, and you know, I'm like you, Gil. I get that, and I'm like, I, I start laughing because it's like, you know, this is two weeks or so before, and you're wanting to know where to start. So, number one, how when long you, have you known you're going to hunt there? Yeah, number one, two weeks. When you know <laughs> when you're going to start, you, 
get after it, right? And and I'm not I'm not laughing to make anybody feel bad, no. but but that's a fact, man. It's just like anything, you know. Uh, who is it? Um, uh, Dan Staten always says the separations in the preparation. There's a yes. there's a plug for elk shape over there, and and it's it's true, man. Uh, with that, um, the third question I get is: um, Are elk still bugling? Can I use calling, or what calls should I use? And when we go to answer that, there's a difference between, you know, when we talk about late season, we're talking about after September, so that could be mid October, late October. Then I start throwing November in, uh, you know, together. And then you have December, January, like as you're going that, I consider that late heading out like that. And then the last question I get is what effects does weather have on the elk? So these are a lot that I'm getting there and these types of questions, but Mike Bozarth asked, asked one yeah. that kind of goes along with this. And he said, how about late season rifle hunts, but using archery equipment? tactics mm. and so the only thing i would tell you is is mike and and everybody else listening um and you guys throw this in if you if you have something to add to it because i know guy you probably see some of that where you go to and i know rc does as well but w- what i want to tell you is if the Closer to September and even up to October, the end of October, dude, and sometimes even in the beginning of November, you can use some calling. Um, and now if we're taking archery tactics, uh, I want to say calling is probably the number one tactic for locating animals because that's all you're wanting to do in those seasons. Now, you can actually get to a point in time like in that early October to mid-October when you have a, an estrus hit that, yes, you can most definitely get animals that will start moving towards you, but mostly because they're cowed up, you're going to get bulls that are going to announce where they're at. And your goal as a rifle hunter is not to get as close as possible because sometimes that can restrict your ability to get a good shot. You know, sometimes you got to think about where they're going to be using that onyx, using that base camp, using whatever you have to figure out where those animals are going, where you might have a view to be able to get over those animals. But the sooner you can get eyes on them, you know, so that you have an idea of whether or not you have to make a move, where you can make a move, you know, to be able to get that quality shot, right? The other thing is, is, you can definitely stop them with your calling. You can, you know, set up a shot, or if you have an animal that's bedded down, you can get them to stand up. But here's where I'm going to go away from those archery tactics, and that is in archery, I like it the thicker the better. The thicker the yes. better because I want it up close and personal, right? Yes. But with the rifle, I want the farther and the more open the better. This is where I don't mind the hundred yard hang up, y'all. Yeah. And this is right. where I I want the hundred yard hang up because mm-hmm. that booger is going to stand out there looking for me and I'm going to get a quality shot on that elk. Right. And the other thing is is for us, we usually depend on our feet during for archery tactics. And and I tell people, man, and I I don't even bring binos during archery. And I tell guys during the later seasons, it's glassing and it's moving, I mean, using every road you can to check areas, to check for track, get in places to use the glasses, and try to cover country to find those animals. Because yeah. 
where they were spread out in archery, because those bulls spread, take those big herds and they break them up and spread them out, and where elk are spread out, now they are again coming back into these huge herds to where it can be feast or famine, and then you have those big bulls that are actually diving off into areas and trying to get alone because they don't want to be around anything, or you have your bachelor groups. So they're going to be bachelor groups, single bulls, and large groups of a herd. All right. Those are the type of things you're looking at, but I'm going from thick and using my feet and not getting as much country covered uh, to using as much of the roads and glasses and movement as I can to cover as much country and to look at it. That's my little spiel on that. Make sure you're wearing some orange too, Mike. Mm. Yeah. Plenty of <clears throat> Yep. Yeah. You no, know, and, and what, what I've seen here, Joe, uh, and, and YouTube in the last couple of weeks is we still have bulls bugling, man. You know, they're running in those, in those big herds. There's some bigger boys starting to split off, but they're still screaming. People are, you know, like they're mind blown, but they're still, it's still the herd dynamic. They're still, you know, talking to each other. And what are the temps, right? Where, where you're chasing those animals right now? Are the temps dropping here? I think I was 14 out the front door. Everything is starting to drop lower and lower as the snow level drops here. So look but the, at the difference is, is you're not going to, you're not going to use your calls to oh, pull heck no. to you. Yeah. You're using those calls to get a Slow. location. Yeah. Just locate right? on them. Locate yes, and locate. then to stop the animal sometimes to get the right. shot. Right. Yeah, in fact, you don't really want to, you know, once you get them located and you're moving in, shut you up. pretty much want to shut up That's it. and, yep. you know, use those cow calls. And I saw somebody said that, oh, I think it was Matt was saying that he was thinking about using um uh calf call, you know, uh to be able to pull them. You know, a cow, if you got a cow tag, late season cow tag, that calf call is the way to go, bro. Calf calling can pull an elk any time of year. That's Absolutely. one of the social things that you can use out there. And Chav and I have pulled herds to us at all times of the year. But I don't tell people to like start going through the woods and doing the same strategies that we do when we are, right. you know, in September, right. you know, you have to use them a little bit different. Like what you're talking about, Matt, being in an open area um, where, you know, elk are pulling into, you might be able to pull them out there a little sooner. You might be able to pull them from an area that they haven't come into from just by using some of that, you know, lost calf and stuff like that. Yeah. If you got a cow going away from you and you've spotted her and you need her to, you do you know you want last ditch effort you start lost calf calf calling or whatever that cow will stop a lot of times and she'll come back towards that right and that may be all you need is for her to clear one rock or clear one tree and you get a three or four hundred yard shot at her and get her knocked down you know but had you not been able to do that she probably just kept on booking with the rest of them you know? that's right the guy Watch that scope magnification though right because a lot of guys will get out there and they'll be cranked up 12 15 18 mm. whatever it is and you mess around and you call her. and you can't find her because all you see is this big brown blob, you know, <laughs> dial that sucker down, Six. you yep. know, yeah, get it down, get it down. I, I so tell, I'd say, I'd say eight, but 10 yeah. sub depending on that. Yeah. I tell all of my hunters four. I mean, I have them dialed down to four because we can always dial up to it. But man, if we get in the tree situation, I want them. And there's been a lot of animals over the last 50 years being killed with a 4X scope. Absolutely. So, four and six and four. Yeah. There's a lot of scopes now that guys are toting that don't go, uh, that four. Way. Yeah. yeah um, I'm going to jump to, to a good question here, Joe Guy. It was your question. What's, 
Number one personal goal improvement for next season. Guy, what did you mean by that, Bo? Well, you know, because we, 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 we spend a lot of time talking about what other people are asking, right? And their questions. But as the success squad coaches and, and the bros, we have goals too. And I thought that there was to be some really good insight for folks. If you said, Hey, this was my weak point this year and this is how I'm working on it. And this is what I'm working on. There's a lot of insight coming from, you know, six guys that, that I was uh, posing the question to before I jumped on here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. No, it's a great question. I can tell you mine's definitely fitness and, uh, and getting my strength back in my right arm, right? Uh, probably was about, when I was in elk camp, probably was about 70, 75%. It's probably about 85 now. Um, was not able to do a whole lot of strenuous stuff while I was healing up with all the surgery that I had in my arm. So mine is definitely show back up to elk camp. Uh, a lot more in shape and look, I know round is a shape, but at the end of the day, show back up, you know, bet in better shape and being able to uh, assist coaching better with that. Right. Um, <clears throat> look, I'm telling you, I got to a breaking point on that mountain and I'm telling you, it's just by the grace of God, he jerked me up by my bootstraps. That and the, the voice of my son telling me, you can't quit, old man. You got to keep going, right? That saved my life. So, uh, and a little bit of understanding my body and how I have to conserve energy, but I don't even get to that if I'm in better shape, right? And, and not injured. So, uh, Guys that are coming off of injuries, man, as we get older, it takes a little bit longer time to heal, right? And, uh, you need to make sure that, you know, I had a really cool crew with us th- that, that day to help me recover from what I went through. Guy had some really cool stuff that he gave me to take, some high powered vitamins, some protein powder, man. I felt right as rain in about six hours. So, um, anyway, that's, that's my number one goal is to be, a whole lot more prepared physically next year. Mine are never ending. You know, the one thing that, that, and I'll just go, I was my question. I asked myself a question that didn't make sense, but you know, my, my pursuit has been so much about personal growth and grinding and keep going and mental fortitude and being out there with my creator. And, and to some extent, like a reflection of that this year, um, to some extent that hinders you. Right. Is when you get out there and you have these kind of side goals, if you will. And for me, that's a lot of the focus is like, man, I, you know, you look at that 11, 11,004 where you can call Joe Gillia from and you go, I'm going to get up there. Right. Make a phone call to Joe and then I'm down an hour later because the rain beat me up. But, you know, so I think it's, it's really focusing on the pursuit itself and not all my little outshoots and my, and my personal, you know, vendettas with myself. Cause that can, that can cloud the mission <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think my personal goal is just to make the people that are around me even better. You know, uh, it, it's, it's been a goal of mine to, uh, I don't know how much my crew notices it, but I take great pride and I love seeing them grow and I, I love seeing them take the lead and, uh, I, I love seeing them and their confidence taking over and, and 
and making them into better elk hunters. Uh, because my goal is, is I want all of them to call in an elk for me, man. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. But you know, when, you know, me, me, Chab and RC, once you start getting to a certain age up here, man, your goal is, is to ensure that, you know, you're still able to do this stuff up in the hills, you know, every year, is a personal goal just to be in the right kind of shape, to be able to still chase them, to still make it happen, to do the things that you need to do. So, um, you know, we keep moving with that. Says the guy that makes everybody cry following him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you what, man. <laughs> like I said, you know, he's been, I've been on his hip for a long time now, him and Chav and, you know, uh, it was all I could do to stick up with him this year. And I, we did. I mean, he got me within 12 yards of a bull and I just needed three feet. And, uh, we've been partying again. You know, we had a little bit of bad luck, right? But we made our good luck. Um, we actually saw those bulls a long way away and we actually outran them really outran them to the side of a ridge and actually caught him back down to us and just had a little bit of bad luck, man. But that's kind of was our whole, that was our whole hunt. You know, everybody just needed another three feet, you know, um, RC and I, same thing. I mean, uh, RC needed just another three feet and he gets it done. So it was, uh, it was definitely challenging, you know, um, so we've had such a good string of good luck and made a lot of good luck too, you know, and then for Joe to get it knocked out on the last day was the coup de gras, you know, for sure. But all of us were so close. Luis, you know, this guy just don't miss. You know, one of the best archers I've ever been around. And, you know, like Joe said, that was the hand of God though that helped us when he did miss. <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> again, I mean, it was tough, you know, Chav sitting in a water hole for a full week, you know, hiking in every day. And, you know, last year he saw more elk than anybody did, double the amount of elk everybody did. So it was just, it was a weird, a weird year, but one that you dive into and go, man, just a few things are different and weird. We look like heroes, man, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it only takes a minute for things to go to zero here. I want you guys to still think about some of that, some of the goals and jump in, but I want to, I you know, Tracy Henry brought up a great point in talking about late season elk hunting. And we tell this to guys, man, when you, in, in the states that get weather, um, especially and even as the season goes, those herds and those cows, they're coming down to that lower country. If you get some snow up there, it's going to push them down to where they're getting feed and they're going to go where they can access it to get down there. And they're going to be in areas that, you know, like, for example, this year, because we didn't have the snow up in the high country very long and we had really, really green and it was really good conditions for them, those elk stayed up high for a long time. And they're going to, they're going to feed on that before they come down to some of that other feed as they go, uh, getting down. So ag areas right now, places down those parks down in between, especially in some of our areas where between ridges that string back, you know, so you'll have a main ridge that'll have finger ridges coming off of it. A lot of times they'll have small parks that'll run for a, a long ways in the bottom of those drainages as they level out. And in those areas, you generally get good grass from that moisture sitting in there. And those animals are more secure in some of those side 
runs like that that are in there and they'll show up in some of those quicker before they show up in some of the bigger areas that are out there. But definitely you'll be able to find them down in some lower places. You you said something that triggered a memory on a previous podcast Mm -hmm. a long time ago, I think mentioned something along the lines of the elk smart enough to optimize where they feed to preserve additional feed for later on. Mm-hmm. And I think you just mentioned something related to that, that uh, kind of caught my attention there. Can you expand on that? Cause I, I remember that was super interesting when you mentioned it a while back. Grinders tuning in. Thank you for listening to the blue collar elk hunting podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. So you take, why aren't these animals feeding on those lower areas first? You know, because think about the conditions of what's going to happen, man. They're not going to eat themselves out of house and home of grass that they're going to need when those conditions push them to it. So they're going to try to eat the grass and and the the plants that are offered to them in areas that they can survive on until they have to move down into greener pastures. And they're not going to eat themselves out of house and home. You know, that's uh, now. I have seen in areas where you've had really dry drought years when you didn't have good grass years, 
And man, I tell you what, they eat that grass down to nothing in some places. And that's where they're going to feed on some of those brushy things. They're going to feed on the aspen. When you guys see, if you've ever been in an aspen park and you look at it in dim light, it's so cool because it looks like there is no tree at the bottom of the aspen because the gray blends in with the gray of the morning from all of the tooth marks where the elk have been chewing the bark off the aspen in the winter time to, you know, using that as part of their feet. It's one of the coolest things I think, you know, you see that in the early mornings up there. You get an aspen that falls down, you know, they're going to chew the heck out of that, you know, um, and take advantage of that feed where they can. Now, one thing that's different about that, the big bulls, those big bulls will not necessarily, especially the big old bulls, they don't necessarily push down like the rest of that herd because they don't need as much feed as the rest of the herd does. They can stay in some areas and survive until, and they'll push snow up to their chest sometimes before they actually get moved down. You know, um, and most people will never locate them and find them because they don't think those animals are staying in there. But they'll stay in an area that's just not very big that's providing them everything that they need. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Does that make any sense, Luis? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's, it's just pretty amazing how nature works, right, and how smart these animals can be and understand their environment. Watch a bison herd. A bison herd does the same thing. Same thing, yeah. All grazing animals do. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yep. Joe, you you had brought up, you know, your RC and Chav's age. I didn't bring it up, but Richard Flock in the <laughs> in the group there <laughs> says yeah. that I'm 66, haven't pulled my bull back in a while. Uh, went out to pull it, and I couldn't having to drop from 60 to 55 in order to pull. Um, I'm not a big guy, and really noticed that I have to practice all year due to aging. Yeah. Okay, so I can't talk about the the pulling the bow back thing, but I will say, yeah, Rich, because for me. The older I get, I, I do see some, some degeneration in how my pin and my target appears through my sight. Um, and if Most I definitely. slack a couple weeks, I mm-hmm. see a difference. Oh, so it's yeah. like constantly, constantly, constantly. Yeah. Keeping mm-hmm. my eye trained to look through that sight, to look through that pin at my target. Point, so, great but point. I, I'm sure that these, uh, elderly gentlemen may have some more in terms of pulling the bow back. I, I, uh, after Joe went through all of his surgery and all this stuff, or he didn't go through surgery, but, uh, I picked up a, yeah, I picked up a set of, uh, oh, they're just, uh, bungee bungee stretches. And I started real slow because I, I was having trouble pulling 50 and I just started pulling it and pulling it correct. That was the main thing. I built that muscle up and now I'm, comfortable pulling 60, 65, pretty easy. So, I mean, that's one thing that I could say that really helped a lot is is using that bungee and just do it slow. Just build yourself up. And and not only doing it in one way, you, you need to you need to add the additional exercises that are going to strengthen the areas around. So, you know, um you know, if you guys are interested in that, I can actually post some exercises that, uh, that Doc had me doing, man, um, over at Mountain Physio. And if you haven't checked them out, they're, they're fantastic. I honestly thought I was going to need shoulder surgery this year. And from the exercises he gave me, I'm pulling better than I ever have. I have less, um, 
You know, I don't have any more night pain. I don't know how many of you are having night pain when you sleep on a shoulder. That'll tell you something right there. Mm-hmm. And that's that's issues with ligaments that are going on. And there's things that you can do to heal that. And it's all about mm-hmm. blood flow. You get blood flow from using muscles. So yeah. when we start getting sedentary and start doing that, we stop getting blood flow to areas. We get relaxed. We're watching the TV more, you know, that boob tube doing different things. We're on the computer more. But, uh, you know, you can keep yourself in a lot better shape just by staying and using those muscles, man. Yes. I'm going to tell you right now, you know, I'm 53 in September. I was 53 in September the 12th. Just just 53? <laughs> yeah, 53, yeah. And I did not pull my bow back from March 22nd till September the 1st. Okay. I couldn't. I was injured and couldn't pull it back. They had to do distal bypass, uh, uh, bicep surgery and, uh, they had reattached it. And on September one, I walked, I didn't even dial my bow down. I walked out there and grabbed a hold of it and drew it back. But look, it's not like I just went cold turkey on my therapy and everything. I was pulling back 20 pounds, 25, 30, you know, and, and mimicking all that with, um, bands and, uh, pulleys in the weight room, right? So I got myself back to that. But look, when I latched the hold of it that first time, I went, wow, man, this is where it really, I've, I've got pretty strong back muscles and shoulder muscles. So I use my back to draw my bow more than it probably any, any muscle that I uh, use ever, right? As far as drawing your bow back, I don't use a lot of bicep and tricep. So, uh, I use a lot of my back muscles and lats to pull and push it back, but that's how I was taught to draw my bow. Right. So in, and then doc, uh, mountain physio, he, he made a, a statement that if you're not drawing your bow in a certain position, you're actually having problems hurting your shoulder. So I watched a little bit of that and I've always drew, drew, drawn my bow with my elbow up. So I've been lucky with that and not having to. Now a lot of times we're sitting in a ground blind or we're sitting in a tree stand like I was with Luis and I draw my bow from the bottom side just so I don't make a lot of big movement. But then I got to get back to form, right? When you're not at, when you're not at your physical fittest self where you're really strong, dude, you can really struggle from that. I watched Joe having that shoulder problem, hog hunting, trying to draw his bow from a kneeling position. Or up really my entire blind. Position. Yeah, and he's poked the whole, <laughs> severed the blind top and everything. I mean, he, he just couldn't get his bow back. So don't feel like you're alone, brother. I mean, at the end of the day, this is real. And you've really got to 100% you know, stay up. I would, you know, shoot every couple of weeks, you know, shoot every week. I mean, I I don't know. Uh, It, I can tell I'm going to have to start. I used to not have to shoot a lot at all, but I can tell guy brought up a really good point of me seeing through the, the peak site and stuff like that, that changes, right? I noticed that this weekend I shot a lot more. I really shot well and but it was because I was used to seeing that site picture, you know, there's nothing wrong with dropping that poundage. As long as you're in a legal poundage, you can mm-hmm. drop that poundage, adjust your setup yeah. to where you're comfortable and, and physically you're able to go out there and manage that situation, yeah. right? If you have a long mm-hmm. hold, if you're struggling to hold, you know, the 60 pounds or the 55 pounds, then drop it. Just make sure you're within, you know, the legalities of, of your uh, fishing game in your state. And if you have to adjust arrows, uh, weight and things like that, get with Luis. Yeah, um, look, you know, my son and, and Logan is talk about that. 
He's six foot, two hundred pounds, and can pull a house down. And he he only pulls fifty seven pounds, man. But he likes it because he doesn't have to make big movements in yeah. a tree stand, stuff yeah. like that. And he absolutely throttles animals. Oh at yeah, seven pounds. Hey, yeah, Chab, you went from. I mean, we can remember uh, when you were coming back after your bout with cancer, man. There was a you, there was a point you just weren't able to even do anything with your bow. To where you were actually shooting again and doing that. What, what was the big change for you? Well, I think, uh, well, I lost a lot of upper body strength when I was going through, uh, rehab, but I started using the, the bands first. And, and, uh, again, you, you, as you get older, you gotta, you gotta do something every day if possible. Yeah. And, and just be persistent at it, you know, grind it out. Uh, the last couple of years I've been eligible to use a, a crossbow, but, uh, you know, my goal talking about what would you like to do, uh, to improve my goal this year is to uh, build up my upper body strength where I can use a bow. You know, I, I enjoy that a lot more. Of course, I haven't shot the crossbow yet. <laughs> you know, I haven't had that opportunity. Well, so, and, we'll and look, this brings. year was the first year you used a crossbow. I mean, yeah, last was. year you had your bow, right? Oh, last that's year right. you shot yeah. your bow. You shot your bow. At a yeah, bow. I did yeah. shoot my bow. I couldn't yeah. think of it, but yeah. It, uh, when he came, when he came last year in February, um, he he shot. He he was set up with a crossbow as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, that's the what he's thinking. He's yeah. thinking too. The two opportunities where he had the bow. The yeah, crossbow. but dude, yeah. man, and that's the thing is, he every time he puts the crossbow in his hands, nothing shows up, man. Nothing <laughs> shows up. <laughs> nothing true. shows up. No, but look, I mean, it, it uh it's scientifically proven. Like after age, after your forties. I mean, your <laughs> your muscle you your muscle mass. Your muscle mass is going to start to decay. That's you have to. Bro. I'm 40. Sure, you're right. Yeah. I'm just yeah. more. Don't yeah. be putting them yeah. noodles up. More and yeah. more, bro. Don't, don't put them That's yeah. your case. That's the yeah. called bingo sure, arms. Sure, sure. sure. I'm, Look at I'm 70 years old and I have gobble gobble arms. Yeah. So the truth the truth of the matter is you need to start it's it's not just cardio and I have this conversation with Manana. It's not just cardio going forward. Yeah, cardio is great. Don't get me wrong, but you need to start, you know, strengthening. And for strengthening, you need weights. And, you know, that's that's what's going to keep you from your, your muscles to stay in shape. Um, and so definitely, look, I mean, you just got to you just got to train and you got to, you know, train with weights. And that's and that's going to help your overall health. I mean, and especially this, if, and it doesn't even have to be weights. It, it can be body weight. It can yeah. be body resistance. Weight. Resistance. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you hear that, y'all? I've got to take a second from the show to tell you about the Enchantress call from Slayer Calls. This call, it gets you the most realistic bugles and cow calls I have ever heard from an external. Look, the folks at Slayer Calls designed this external call to act just like a human tongue. So literally, with the push of a button, anyone can use this bad boy to bring those puppies running. Look, if you struggle with diaphragm calls, or you have a partner that's just not able to call, y'all, this right here is your ticket to sucking those bulls right on in. 
If you want to try the Enchantress, which they're calling the Elk Slayer now, to put me in your freezer, then just use our code. It's one word, ElkBroSlay. Again, that's the code, ElkBroSlay, on SlayerCalls.com. Well, I mean, your body weight's big resistance, right? I mean, if you take a look at gymnasts, they never touch a weight. It's all body resistance, and uh, that's how they get stronger, push thousand push-ups a day i mean it's crazy the stuff that gymnasts do to be so strong but yeah i mean i'm with you man you got to get stronger uh but like guy said you ain't got to pull back 65 pounds yeah. to kill an elk i'm telling you straight mm-hmm. up man but i want lot, you to notice man i want y'all to notice the one that hasn't said anything about goals and the one that hasn't said anything about having to stay stronger and the one that is just like he's <laughs> like yeah, it's all good. Yeah. No, I tell you what, my goal is. My goal <laughs> is to find a better. My goal, my goal is to find a better it. hunting partner. My, my goal. I already <laughs> said it. I so, read that. So Logan, Logan is going to be the best substitution, the best new hunting partner. Not I'm Logan, man. He he popped in oh, here my, and said, you know my he goal, told Manano, he said, I got you back, Manano. I'll call yeah, him. Yeah, and Logan doesn't him. know what he's talking what, about. He will realize when he gets up there. Honestly, definitely. I want to hear it. My goal is improve my my. Calling skills. Oh, okay. That's my number one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not my personal goal. It's a goal. My internal personal goal is enjoy the most every time that I go out and hunt memories. Exactly. That's what I hunt for. Mm-hmm. That's, and, and, and I know probably guy or, you know, other guys, uh, <laughs> don't, don't agree with my point because they're, everybody you know, everybody gets that Manana, but they're talking about true goals, not just like rainbows and unicorns. Nobody gets that. We all want goal. good memories. Hey, you we get it. Yeah. They're talking about. They're talking serious stuff here. That's <laughs> my thing. I didn't disagree with you, bro. I, I was. That. I was no, thinking no, to break out the violin. I'm telling you, it's 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 true, bro. That's true. It's it's my personal goal. I want rainbows and unicorns and pretty flowers. That's why I don't get mad when you miss. Yeah, I love to see the butterflies and take beautiful pictures. I get it, dude. Bro, I've hunted since I was born. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I don't have anything. I'm going to take us to another question. Please. Keep it it in line. All right. Um, So Jeff Barlow from Sneak Tech. Jeff uh, and Jeff was here early. I'm not sure if Jeff is still with us now, but he, you know, he says, "How do you locate bulls that are quiet because of hunting pressure or predators?" And uh, I hear this all the time, and and really, I truly believe that I think 95 percent of the people out there that are hunting during the archery season di- deal with this issue, and they don't deal with it well. Um. Because especially we, we think that one of the best times to hunt elk is early season, right? So we're talking about, you know, for you, some of you guys might be starting in August, but we're September 1st to like September 14th. We love that time of the season. That's where we get to hunt those animals before they've ever, um, that's the dumbest they're going to be all year, right? Uh, they haven't had anybody calling at them, really anybody pushing on them. And, and it's a great time to actually get, uh, a great bull during that time. It's a great time to have animals come into you, the, but you had better be ready to handle animals that are more quiet, right? Yes, yes. So 
it, you know, it, so many guys go through and they throw out location bugles. And if they do not get a response, they're lost. Mm-hmm. They're done. So what I like to tell you, Jeff, is this. When elk are quiet, I don't necessarily try to locate them. I try to get them to locate me. Yep. Right? That's the difference. And, you know, and I was on, you know, I was listening to a, a piece on Guy's podcast. Him and I did a, a show together. And I was talking about people, you know, and their talk, you know, their calling. And I don't, I think I kind of misspoke a little bit because I talk about how people really aren't, they don't really work on their calling and they just, they're not able to really make a lot of sounds and stuff. I, that's, it's a little bit incorrect because I think guys are able, I think most people can do a location bugle and I think they can do a cow call, right? But one thing that I did find out by doing, uh, we do a new kind of elk competition at the, um, at the hunt fest, the Western hunt fest. And what we do is a scenario calling elk competition. In other words, when we're talking about scenarios, you guys talk about scenarios all the time that you have, you know, that there's a bull, it's September 15th and he's up on a hill and all he was doing was grunting at me. And, you know, you give that scenario. Well, what we do is we create a scenario with our calling doing elk things that are going to make elk want to come to us. And what I found is, is that because people do not understand what elk are saying or why they're calling or what their calls mean, they don't know or understand a scenario. Like they don't understand, you know, how to, um, a bedded bull scenario, an advertising bull scenario, uh, uh, a cow in heat scenario, uh, a rut fest type scenario. So these are different scenarios that we try to paint the picture by playing the parts of elk doing these different elk sounds that they do for those scenarios that will draw animals into us. And by understanding those and getting in an area where you're you know elk are, and why do you know elk are there? Either by the sign. Um, either you've reverse engineered from where they're going to water and feed up to where their bedding is, and you're finding those fresh tracks, or you're smelling them, or you've been on tracks that you're seeing that's going into an area. You know that elk are in a particular area, but if you were to just give a location bugle, you get diddly. Yep. So what you have to do is you change that tactic from – getting them to respond and you cutting the distance to them to maybe you getting into where they're at and getting them to cut the distance to you. So that's a totally different thought process right there. But that's one of the things that we do well. Yeah, it is, Joe. And look, we, we lived that this year, you know, in our, in our hunt success crew, you know, we actually went to an area and kind of saturated an area, but we were up against some really hard lines where we couldn't go. Right. So we knew that if we were there, it was raining. It was pretty foul weather. Uh, I knew that I've been in that scenario many other times, man. And I was just going to send out a location bugle, a few cow calls and then make it sound like my own little elk herd right there. And so we're just casting that out, you know, and, uh, and lo and behold, they came and found us, you know, uh, it was one bull and he was looking for the party. And, uh, there were some things this year that was a little bit different too, Joe, for us. And I think every year you'll find out what little, 
what little wrinkle in your calling will have that effect on an animal, right? This year for me, it was that soft chuckle. That little soft chuckle would gain confidence in animals to want to join the party. It wasn't just a lost cow call, which I, I did some of that too, but that soft chuckle was the convincing part to keep that bull's attention and have him want to come find the party. Right. And it was really, (laughs) yeah, it was really light, you know, but that bull tried to leave three times me and Tom and uh, he was just coming looking for the party. You know, they all want to be social and see who's over there and this, that, and the other. So we just kind of played up to that scenario because we couldn't go much further. We were up against a hard line barrier and wasn't like we could keep rolling out of that unit, you know? So, um, well, what you're doing though is you're doing something that's not the same old rodeo. And you guys think about this, man. A lot of these elk, especially now, we have so many people that are going out and they're throwing out calls already, throwing out location bugles in August. They're just wanting to hear animals or, you know, uh, they're wanting to practice their call and they want to see a response or they're out there the week before, the day before their season actually opens. And I was talking to a hunter um, about that today. But they're hearing all of this stuff. And then, man, everybody hits the hills and everybody's making the same calls. So when you start using things that's not the same old rodeo, when you're using those low audible elk sounds, when you're using the raking, when you're using the light chuckles and the little moans, the huffs, when you're using those types of sounds, it's not the same deal. Man. No. It, and and the other thing I want to tell people is, is just because, and always remember this, because you're not hearing a response from another bull's bugle does not mean that elk are not responding to you. Yep. You know, you might not be close enough to hear the response or you might not be long enough, waiting long enough for them to respond by actually coming to you. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that happen in that early season. Yeah, bull never said a word. Come right on in there. No. Joe, you know, you brought up the podcast. I'm not shamelessly plugging, but one of the things that we talked about on there and that you said is, you know, is your repertoire, right? The more, the more you run through this, if you start this now, the more you run through this, the ready you are for season. So you get out there and you got five trucks that are 70 foot apart and everybody's doing the same thing and you bounce off of that. Well, then you're able to open up your tool bag, reach in there and try X, Y, and Z if the other stuff isn't working, whereas everybody else is typically A and B, right? Mm-hmm. So having that, having a strong calling mm-hmm. repertoire is huge. Yeah, I, I'll never forget Tom was like, you're going to do what? I said, we're just going to throw those calls out there and let them marinate. He looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate. And he was like, marinate? I hadn't heard that. I said, well, mm. I'm telling you, man, look. I said, I've been with R.C. Knox, the great Carl Gamage. And I've sat under oak trees calling bulls in for people with, you know, muzzle loaders. And I'm telling you, a day like today, we're going to make it happen doing that because we can't go nowhere else, man. We're hung up right here. I mean, this is as far as we can go. So it was awesome, man. Uh, and just doing something a little bit out of the norm, right? Joe. Absolutely, man. And what what I'd like to do is uh, I want to read a scenario here because it actually hits on a lot of different things. It's taking us back to September. This is from Albuquerque. Um, he says, I have a scenario question. It's September 1st to 14th. Sound familiar? Bulls would usually respond to first location bugle. Um, they never responded to any cow calls except last few days of the hunt. 
I would move in on location bugles, but they would shut up if I advanced. I tried waiting them out and the occasional bugle to get a direction, but they never closed the distance. In other words, the elk never came into them. And now he kind of says here something a little different. He says, um, what is the move for these pre-rut educated bulls? Okay. Was my, this was my first elk hunt with a bow. I still had several close encounters on some awesome bulls, but 80 yards was all these bulls were willing to risk. The decoy advice you guys had given was great, but carrying a decoy while solo hunting is quite tough with a bugle tube um, that I'm trying to keep quiet around my neck. And, of course, you still have to range for yourself. Any tips to keep your bugle tube quiet would be appreciated. Said, I range trees in advance to take one more step out of the equation. But, man, solo hunting elk is not easy. And so I'm, I'm going to pull out some things here that he said. You know, number one, what is the move for these pre-rut bulls? Um, he talks about how they would not, you know, they would respond. And once you got close, they weren't responding again. Now, they weren't responding to a bugle, so that's something we can talk about. He also said um, he had some awesome encounters with bulls at 80 yards, but they were willing not to come any closer. And he talks about a decoy being too tough to carry. Uh, I'll just tell you this. For that predator decoy, um, predator yeah. decoy mounts on the front of your bow. Uh, we're going to solve that one right away there for you. Uh, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a great decoy to use even for a solo hunter. And it said that, um, it's tough to keep a bugle tube quiet around my neck. And of course you still have to range yourself. And if you're using, uh, if you're using a, um, bat style tube, yes, it is. Well, what we use is we use a flexible tube like this. And we actually, we have that tube right around here. And what we do is we have that tube where we're able to just pull it right up here. If I'm, if I'm on my knees and I have my bow here and it's down on the ground, anything I do is calling behind me. And that's one reason a lot of times that those elk hang up out there at 80 yards from you. All right. Is yeah, that you can just push and pull it, man, as you need yeah. it. So I have it right here, every movement, and when I call now, I'm calling behind me. A lot of times those elk hang up at 80 yards because you're calling towards the animal. Never call towards the animal once they've moved in like that. And the problem is to call behind you, there's a lot of movement with that big bat tube. So if you have a flexible just like this, now when I call, if that animal's starting to come in, all I got to do is push it down just like this, it's still right there. And all of it's hidden by my bow in front of me where I'm able to draw. I don't even have to do much with it. Just like that. I've reached down and I've grabbed it and I've actually turned and steered an animal coming into me. So that's real key. And it's light. It doesn't make a lot of noise. It gets right around the back of your pack. It's uh it's a good way to go if you're if you're struggling, especially if you're a solo hunter. Look, I don't care what you use as a when you're calling together as a team. If Guy and I are hunting together, he can use that bat back behind me all he wants, man, because he can move and he can make things happen for me. But when you're a solo, solo. hunter yeah. and you're trying to bring that animal in close, if that animal, once he gets into 80 and you're using a bat, you're stuck. You're stuck. So you need something else that you'll be able to do to throw calls back behind you. So that's something that you can do with that. Can I chime in on that? Yeah, absolutely. But so as a solo, predominantly solo elk hunting guy, 
I already know if I'm going to the woods with something noisy. I already know how my bat's going to work if I'm using my bat holder or if I'm using it over my shoulder. Um, you got to work that stuff out before season, right? You can't go into the elk woods and have these, these little glitches and have to deal with them because those little glitches, they add up and they throw you off your game and you're not focused on the mission at hand. So you gotta, you gotta get out and you gotta put that pack on and you have to be okay or uncomfortable at the range looking like the freak guy and all his gear two months before season mm-hmm. and really go through those scenarios, get that stuff worked out guys prior to season. It's, it's, you can't go, especially solo. You can't go in there with that mess. You know, Joe, one of the things that he's dealing with too is, 80 yards? I mean, what's his setup like? Because if they're right. hung up at 80 yards, they're at a stop and scan spot most of the time. If he gets inside of that, you know, he's 40 yards a lot closer. So, and he's shooting at those bulls. Yeah. Always remember too, man, if they're 80 yards and they're talking back to you, you can get right on them, dude, and go right at them. You know, I mean, you got nothing to lose, you know, when, when they're hung up. Uh, go make, go make your way. You can bugle your way right into them. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can do, Jens, but having a bull hang up at 80 yards generally is on us and our setup. What Gilbert's talking about is this, and we've talked about it a lot of time is a stop and scan. An elk wants to confirm visually. So if that elk is in an area where he should see the other elk making that noise, then they're going to stop and they're going to look for that other elk. They should be able to see it. And if they don't see it, then that's a red flag for them, man. Now, if you're set up in a situation where you're using either vegetation or you're using terrain so that that animal has to come up and over or around something or through something before he hits that stop and scan spot, they'll, you'll see them. They'll come through brush and they'll stick their head through there and they'll turn and they'll look, man, just like that at you. And that's where they go through that, that doorway, that stop and scan location. I think there was one other thing on there. He said something about it, looking at the trees and using his rangefinder earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's knowing where, you know, for me, guys, knowing where 40 yards is is a big deal. Um, once I know what 40 yards looks like or 50, uh, right. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I can cut that in half and I don't even need anything 20 right. yards and in, right? Like, you know, when Bruce asked Joe, you know, bulls at eight yards and he asked Joe, what pen do I use? Joe said, all of them. You know what I mean, dude? At the end of the day, dude, you just got to know. For me, it's that 40-yard mark for me understanding anything past that I'm going to use my range. Range finder, uh, and I can't I can't stress to you guys enough, man. Don't shoot at bulls if you don't know how far they are. Don't. You're just going to be sadly disappointed, right? right. Uh, do your homework in your setup. Uh, range trees and bushes in front of you that are 40, 50, 60 yards, and once you understand where 40s at, then you can, man, you can really develop that you know, 20 to 40 yards and get in there and go, well, that's half of that 20 to 40. So that's 30, right? Uh, I mean, you can really get there. And our bows nowadays, unless you're shooting a 300 and 300,000 grain arrow like Luis does, it, they're pretty flat shooting. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, man, it's so important for you to know your distance. And, and man, that takes practice too, huh? Uh, 
uh, RC. It takes going out there and, and being in the woods and going, how far you think that is, man? And you range it and you, well, shoot, I was off of that. And a lot of that'll depend on your cover too. If you got real dark cover and shooting through corridors and stuff, it's going to always look longer and bigger, right? So, Get get used to doing that and your hikes in the woods and stuff like that. Get used to ranging things in your mind and understand. When you can start seeing forty yards in front of you, you're you're going to get a whole lot more lethal with. And with the woods are and su- the woods are super deceiving too. Yeah, you know uh, this this year every once in a while, Manano and I will you know say, okay, so how far is that pine tree over there? And then I'll take a guess, right and you know, I'll be way off, you know, and, uh, and then you'd range in and you're like, wow, because you have, you have a little downhill and then it gets to a little Tronos. <laughs> you see, you like how I, like how I threw that one in there. Beto, like it, baby. Yeah, you should be proud. And then it went up, it went up on the other side and then it just completely changes the perspective to what actually the distance is. Now, uh, to your point, you know, I, it, it's great, especially if you're in a setup to kind of range around you, right? And, uh, and get comfortable, just get a mental map of what your contour lines are, right? Uh, western contour lines. You like that? There you go, buddy. Yeah, there you go. yeah. Shameless. And, uh, so, <laughs> so, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to make points, ain't he? You see how good I, yeah, I'm getting good at this, RC. That would be a great uh, name for a podcast. For a podcast, boys. Just, uh, so good, so good. But anyhow, so my point is also understand your equipment. See, in my case, you know, when that L came out, I completely forgot that my rangefinder already accounts for inclination. And uh so when I measured the distance, um I pegged that L for about thirty yards because I had measured a forty yard behind it and a and a twenty yard in front of it, so I figured it should be around thirty yards. Um, and then I thought, well, I need to take some yardage off because I'm shooting downhill and I shot way low. And so, you know, if your rangefinder already accounts for distance, you gotta know that because then you don't have to compensate. See, I basically compensated over the compensation that was already given to me by the rangefinder. So it's important to quote that lesson learned for me, big lesson learned. Manano, how do you, I mean, do you have techniques? I mean, how hard is it for you to judge distance as a pin shooter? Do you have any special techniques? Um, no, I'm constantly ranging. Constantly, constantly ranging. Constantly. Every time that I get a point, I range. That's my first step. And I always challenge Luis, hey, how far is that tree? How far is that? That We, we got that, that game going on all, I mean, 24-7 in the woods. But my my very first step is just range. My surroundings, and then I forgot um, my my range finder. So so, that's so one of one of those everybody does that. The problem that that I have, and this is one of my my success squad coaching points, right, is that when we do that, we're not paying attention to it. We're recording eighteen, thirty two, twenty eight, forty one, right, but we're not sitting there and going. That's what eighteen looks like. That's what twenty eight looks like, and recording that visually 
right? So when we go back to it later, now I can add all my 18s up and put my freaking pin on that tuft of hair and go, oh, I've been there, done that. That's 18 yards. I remember that, right? And, and Manano has it perfectly, but make sure that you're recording that stuff, guys. When you go to the range, Joe, myself, and Adam in camp, we played a little, a little no range target, uh, dance, right? We set the target out. I think we went out to like 70 yards, um, and in as close as, well, I, we, uh, yeah, I yeah. got another, I right? got another, and, um, and, and we couldn't range. Joe's like, no ranging. Um, so what we did is we just went and we shot and then we, we played some other stuff with it, but it's a really good practice. It's a lot of fun, right? And it really gets you dialed in on judging that range, but you have to make those mental, you know, I call them mental recordings for me. That's how I, that's how I do it. Right. Because I replay it to myself as I'm in the field and I'm like, okay, there's an animal coming in. Boom, 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 boom. And I may every now and again, just go and verify that if I have the time, but, but more times than not, it's just the mental playback. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, no like raising, no are, raising 3D shoots are great for that. Most of the people are good ranging at 20 yards. I mean, they, their judgment will be good. So my strategy, I always try to be the accurate at 20 yards and then I double it. Yeah. That's Correct. what I, you know, I range and then 20 yards is from here to there and then I double. It's 30 yards, 35 yards and you will be around that. Uh, so right. that's that's my procedure. Yeah, if, you, if you know what twenty yards looks like, it's easier to go. Okay, that's ten yards from the twenty. You know, yeah, I mean, and when you and when you're hunting with a partner, hopefully they can help you. You know, standing there, they could you know call out a number or something like that. I actually had Chab with me one time. A bull had jumped a barrier and was standing there, and I said, "How far?" And he goes, 18 yards." And I looked back at him, and I'm like. 18, the bull's like a half a mile in front of us. And I'm like, 18 yards. I look back at Chav. I'm like, 18 yards. I said, you're going to have to do that again. I'm in full draw, guys. I'm in full freaking draw. And I look back at 18 and he's going, click, 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 Senate, man, but I mean, 18, it freaked me out. I'm like, but, but look, and again, so that, that technique of the 20 yard and doubling it, it, it works great. It's a lot easier in, in our heads when it's the terrain is flat. Yeah. But when you, when you start adding, you know, elevation. uh, tree, tree tunnels, changes in elevation, <clears throat> you're looking from one ridge to the other. That really misses your perception up. So what happens, what happens when the battery dies in the rangefinder and you forgot to pack the battery? What yeah, happens you know, when you got the borrow yeah. battery? What are you, what you doing, yeah. right? And there, there's so yeah. many things that can go wrong with our electronics. That's for sure. And, and look, that you know, I, somebody. That's why, that's why I want to be good at 40 and in, right? I'm probably not shooting past that if I don't have a rangefinder though. I think <laughs> that what, uh, solves all the problems is if a guy will take a judo point, take it out the field, and shoot it. Yeah. And you're going to go, oh, man, that was a little further than what I thought. Mm-hmm. Then you range it, and you go, oh, okay. Or it, then you get to where that range finder, you know, that you got, you sits in that pocket, yeah. and it stays there. Yeah, because you know you're – Exactly how far that is because you've been shooting that distance. It's just like you said, in the trees, in the tunnels, where it's dark, where all that stuff is, 
you just learn to shoot that kind of stuff. That's and right. You know, when I killed that bull last year in, in Colorado, Brendan called out the distance, but I figured the bull for 50 and he said 53. Yeah. And I mean, I'm got my 50 yard pin already settled on him. I'm pretty confident I'm right, but I'm not letting that arrow go unless I probably have a confirmation. And when he said 53, poof, I sent it, man, it was gone. But I, again, I think- understanding what that distance is, is a big deal. And, and I think the more that you train yourself for it and practice mm-hmm. for it, and then he, here's the other thing is that when you get in the situation, you have to trust yourself for it. You know, you, you, I mean, it's it's one of those things that a lot of times we convince ourselves out of. We actually talk ourselves out yes, of sir. a distance mm-hmm. when our body is telling us the correct thing. Mm-hmm. So I. I think that's something that you have to practice. And like Guy said, when we play that game, Chav and I used to play horse all the time, you know, where one person had to follow the other one with the shot, just like in basketball. We would do that with archery all the time from different places, different angles, different heights, from our knees, from standing up, you know, from different things just to work all of that stuff. And it's not only fun, but it prepares you for things. <laughs> in fact, we did <laughs> we did this one time where... I actually climbed up in a tree to do a shot and, uh, and Chav's just a little bit shorter than me. <laughs> so Chav gets up in the tree to do the shot and there's one of these limbs that are in his way and he's right over top of my head because I was like, Oh, I got to move this tree out of his way so he can make the shot. So he's right above me with his bow. And the last thing I remembered going, I hope he doesn't shoot me in the back of the head when wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this, man, and I reach up, and I'm bleeding on the back of my head, and I'm going, you shot me, man, and Tav's bow's way up in the air, and what happened was that was, remember we had the egg cams, you know, a lot, yeah. some of these oh, cams are yeah. like that, yeah. well, when it pulled up, that cam went down, and it chopped me <laughs> right the top of the noggin. That's that uh, tomahawk cam, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah tomahawk cam. There you go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it it can get a little dangerous, I guess. <laughs> um, um, what we're going to do here, guys, is we're, we're this is just about time for us to to close out. Um, Joe, I wanted, to, I, I wanted yeah. to give a shout out to Armando with the bow hitch. He's on oh, with us tonight, man. Guys, if guys. y'all have not gone to Armando's website at the bow hitch, y'all got to do that. Why? Because carrying your bow sucks. That's why. Right? So you gotta go check out Armando and the boys at the bow hitch. If you guys are western hunters and even deer hunters, man, I use mine quite a bit. So at the end of the day, you got to go check out those guys, man. And I I think um, uh, Mondo's giving out uh, 20 free to the guys on this uh, chat here. (laughs) 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 The last person that shows up has to give free gear. Mondo, we're so proud of you. (laughs) He's going to send me the bill. (laughs) (laughs) Every one of us uses the bow hitch and, um, and there are some of us here that were reluctant to try it. Um, and it, um, everybody here agrees it was a total game changer. Uh, I, I total truly, game it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be one of those items that's like your stabilizer. It has to be on your bow because right. it, it's, it's that much of an impact. It's a must have it. So, yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, I'm going to answer one thing that I want to say because somebody was talking about 3D targets to help you with some of that shot placement, things about 3D. And one thing I want to remind everybody as well is that the the only thing about a 3D target is it's always got like – you got your 10 ring and you got your kill zone and everything. And when you're broadside and a lot of that is trying to put you in that, you know, that golden triangle. Well, that's great for target practice and learning to place your arrows. But for us, that is not good shot placement. And the other thing is, is when you practice 3D, it doesn't matter what the angle is. You're always shooting at that same part on the shoulder. And what you got to get used to doing is, is if you are on a quartering away shot, is you're going to have to shoot outside of the scoring zone to really hit what would be killing an animal. You got to think about what you're going through in that anatomy to get both lungs. If you were on a live animal at a, at a quartering away shot to hit right there in tight behind that shoulder, you're going to take out one lung. It's going to come out the other side of the chest and that animal's going to go possibly for weeks yeah. uh, if it doesn't go in a couple of days. So just you know, Joe, Silvano Munoz asked that. Silvano Munoz had a question, uh, you know, on shot placement on elk, depending on the position of the elk. I know Joe and Guy discussed it on their podcast. What's you guys' personal opinion on specifics of where you would place your arrow? And I told him in, in, in the type, I said, man, you got to go to our shot placement podcast. It's one of the very best. Joe covers it again, uh, in the base camp model, uh, for, for uh, it's available on our webpage, but our, on our YouTube channel, he actually has an overlay of the elk's anatomy and shows you right where we shoot our bulls. And, you know, RC, Joe, Chav can attest the last three bulls that we've killed have went a combined about 25 yards, man. Mm-hmm. And I mean, piled up. We watch them fall in sight, you know. So it, we gotta, you know, and, and what clued me into where I shoot them is my daughter shooting her bull. I've said this a thousand times. She shot a bull her second time she shot him and she hit him a little back and a little high center and uh blood flew out of that and he was dead in 13 seconds you know so you go up that leg and and like guy and all of us know we never have a truly broadside animal no. so that's something you always got to take in consideration like i said on that incredible western contours podcast exactly. um most guys look from the wrong end to their shot. They look from the head down to the place they're going to shoot. You need to go from the legs up when you're going to do your shot. That way you see where those leg placement is. If you're looking at an animal and you're seeing this, where this is behind, you got That's a coring away. Animal. You see where they disappear. I don't know outside. that we want to see much of that, Joe. You can <laughs> yeah, watch that. Animal, that animal, bro. Red might think that's a cool animal, but yeah, that ain't no, no cool animal, bro. I, I think that's a great way to end the show. Oh, man, we're just getting warmed up, Joe. That's a great way to end I need to get show. another one. End. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey, Gil, why don't you close us out, guys? Oh, man. Yeah. You don't want to go to one more uh, one more question, man. We ain't got nobody else in the house. You know, Bryson Bercy did send something that said, we mistake, we, we mistake, do you, what mistake do you see new elk hunters consistently make and what is the solution? And uh, I think we've touched People on that today. Do what? Do what, Manana? That's People a series don't. of podcasts. 
Yeah, it could be a series, but I think most new elk hunters consistently don't understand how to call. That's one I'll tell you straight up. Yeah, and when you learn how to do that, it will absolutely change your game, right, Joe? I, yeah, and I've got one a little bit different that I think they consistently make, and I think they give up too early, leave too soon. Yep. They're all gung-ho in the first three days, and then if things haven't gone their way and they haven't had elk running over them, they give up too soon after waiting 350 days to get out there instead of grinding it out the full time and hunting right. every day like it's your only day and your last day. Mm-hmm. And I, that's that's what I think is the biggest and most consistent mistake that I see from people out there in the woods. Right. Listen to that episode of Western Contours. You'll get more of what Joe just said right there. (laughs) Another plug. (laughs) Yeah. They can, and, and Hey (laughs) guy, congrats again, bro. On the carbon TV. Let everybody know you can see you now on carbon TV, brother. Yeah. If you guys are listening to Western Contours, go over to the carbon TV app. It's, it's free. It's amazing. Um, you don't have to pay anything. You just get on there, load the app on your phone, and there's a ton of outdoor content on there for your uh listening and viewing pleasure. We're over there with Western Contours. Appreciate the support over there. And you'll see Joe and the boys, you know, throughout the year on Wapiti Wednesdays as uh, I load up over there. So, Man, what an awesome podcast. I love doing the live stuff, man. I love getting off a little unleashed and making Joe cringe just a little bit. Uh, when I found that the, the GD was in the house, I wanted him to join us. He was Thanks, an brother. instrumental part of us uh, mm-hmm. and our coaching staff this year. And, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's part of our Elk Bros family. So I uh, wanted him to, to join us. And if you like what we're doing here, uh, please subscribe, rate and review us. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us and you can check Check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And please like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's really how we get these views up and stuff like that. And just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on the show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Absolutely. Peace, peace, everybody. everybody. All our grinders out there, here's some more music from our brother, Tony Wintrip. Tony's out the show. I got my rigging pants on, Romeo's walking, out to my Chevy, it's always honking that thing, knows when it's Friday night, calling booze cruise. I put her in the back, baby in the front, my buddy in here. Go.